Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. And tonight we're going to talk all about diabetes. We're very lucky to have a national expert on the topic joining us tonight. Dr. Bajaj is a national consultant and editor for the Canadian Journal of Diabetes. He's recently been appointed as the Vice Chair of Diabetes Canada's Clinical Practice Guidelines. He volunteers with numerous community public health organizations as well as media programs with the intent of raising public awareness on diabetes prevention and treatment. He's going to walk us through what diabetes is, why is it relevant to understand our risks, and most importantly, what can we do to prevent it from occurring or becoming more severe through the implementation of a healthy lifestyle. After that, we'll be joined by Mr. Kevin Peters, who started the Diabetes for a Day fundraiser after his daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. He'll share their story and what they've learned along the way. So let's get to it. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Bajaj. Uh, thanks, Mike, uh, for the invite. Very rarely do people get an opportunity to talk to somebody like yourself who's so involved with diabetes research, but also in clinical practice. Can you explain to folks what diabetes is? Yeah, so, um, you know, typically people think of uh, diabetes uh, as being a disease with high sugars, and that is true. That's how we diagnose uh, diabetes is by having higher sugar than normal. So when we talk about normal sugar, uh, in the fasting state, uh, it should be less than six. Uh, so fasting is like eight to 10 hours of fasting. It should be less than six. And after meal, uh, so if you check uh, after two hours of uh, eating uh, anything, uh, it should not go more than eight. Um, so that's how we diagnose diabetes. But uh, there are many different kinds of diabetes that we should discuss uh, um, uh, you know, more details of uh, when we talk about what is diabetes. Mm. And what are some of those types that we that people can encounter? Yeah, so type 2 diabetes is the most common kind of diabetes um, and that we think of. It's, uh, it, it was, uh, the old name for that was uh, adult-onset diabetes because most of the time uh, it used to occur in adulthood or even older age uh, group. Uh, but now with the obesity epidemic, we are seeing that type 2 diabetes is occurring even in youngsters, sometimes in teenagers as well. So that's why, you know, we don't use that age-related, uh, 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 you know, diagnosis uh, criteria as such. Um, but we go by type 2 diabetes as the, as the name. So type 2 diabetes is the most common. It's about 90% of diabetes that is type 2 diabetes. Uh, it's related to obesity, as I mentioned. Uh, obesity uh, increases the workload of the pancreas, uh, or it makes the pancreas work harder. And the pancreas is the organ in our body in the, in the abdominal area, which makes insulin. Uh, insulin is a hormone that controls sugar very tightly in a normal situation. But then when in type 2, uh, because of obesity, uh, the pancreas cannot keep up with the demand of uh, insulin generation is when uh, the sugars start rising. So that's the most common kind of diabetes is type 2. Now, uh, somewhat less common, 5 to 10% uh, uh, in any given population is type 1 diabetes in which the same pancreas does not work uh, even um, you know one or two percent, so it stops working altogether. Is what happens in in those people who have type one diabetes. So why it happens, we don't even know. It's not related to obesity or food or anything. Uh, we think it's somewhat environmental, uh, but still more research is going on as to what the cause is. 
It could be, it's thought to be autoimmune related, that is your own immunity attacking the pancreas and damaging it so that it doesn't make the insulin anymore. Now, most of these uh, people who have type 1 diabetes are younger, so that's what was uh, originally called young onset diabetes. Uh, so mostly in the teenage years uh, is when this develops. So those are the two most common kinds of diabetes. Right, and you said that there were some risk factors. You mentioned obesity. We're here in Newfoundland. We have a really high rate of obesity, and you also mentioned nutrition, and nutrition is something that we also struggle with. We have a lot of rural settings where it's tough to get fresh foods. What are the risk factors people should really pay attention to for diabetes? Yeah, so the weight uh, is the major uh, driver of uh, type 2 diabetes, as I mentioned. Um, uh, now, uh, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of uh, issues that go along with the weight. Of course, uh, we've seen obesity uh, in, in uh, every province uh, increasing over time. If you look at uh, Ontario or Newfoundland or if you look at British Columbia, uh, you know, anywhere um, obesity is increasing. And the reason uh, for that is is uh, is environmental, which is that we are we are leading less active lives, and also we are consuming much more calories uh, than we used to consume. Uh, most of this is prepackaged uh, in the fridge or uh, at a you know processed uh, like at a coffee shop. Uh, it could be Tim Hortons, McDonald's, etc. Uh, and and. And that is probably what is driving that uh, that obesity epidemic and then driving the diabetes type 2 epidemic as well. How big of a factor is education when it comes to people being able to mitigate some of these risk factors? Education is key. Uh, now, there's two parts to dealing with the epidemic, I would say. Uh, so on an individual level, uh, we say, you know, education or uh, knowledge uh, is important. But then uh, we have to look at a broader perspective as well, which is the population level, right? So is uh, that diet education uh, or, or activity education or, or just uh, maintaining a normal weight education being provided, uh, let's say, from the schooling years uh, from, for our children, for the next generation? You know, it could take that part. Uh, and then what is out there in the media? There are some population-level things uh, that have been tried in some uh, populations, for example, uh, UK and many uh, and a few other countries uh, and uh, even a few states in the U.S., they have started what is called a sugar tax, uh, which is basically if you're, if you're drinking a pop, uh, you have to pay an extra tax for that uh, because we know uh, pop uh, sugar drinks are a big driver of, of these problems, these uh, obesity and type 2 diabetes. And so those are some of the population-level things that are sometimes uh, not on top of the mind when we think about these uh, diseases as such. Also, uh, you know, menu food labeling, for example. In Ontario, uh, there is a law now where any uh, restaurant chain that has more than 10 restaurants in, in the province, they have to have calorie counts and carb counts on the menu. Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I don't think it's, uh, it's there across Canada. So things like that, uh, that give you more information that you can use, uh, maybe maybe a good thing uh, uh, as well. So it's individual, uh, uh, you know, education, but also on a population level. Okay, so somebody now is aware that you know diabetes is, is, is a condition. They know that it's in the community. How do they know if it's if they're being impacted by? What are the signs and symptoms? 
Yeah, so signs and symptoms may not be there. That's the other thing. You know, we used to call it, or uh, you know, we probably people have heard, and kind of like a taboo almost uh, when you say this. But it it's been thought of as being the silent killer, and diabetes is. And the reason is it is silent in many cases, right? Uh, the killer part, uh, I would I would uh, argue against that because once we diagnose diabetes uh, with the tools that we have, with the education tools as well as treatments that we have, uh, people now live their normal long lives uh, as long as we take care of their sugars, blood pressure, cholesterol. Uh, so it's not a killer anymore as such. than in the normal population, people live their long life uh, just like the average. But then uh, it is still silent uh, at diagnosis in most people, and that's the that's the that's also the problem or the challenge with this, is um, you know people may feel a little tired or fatigued, and they may may sleep excessively, uh, sometimes sleep less, and they may have an ache and pain here or there a little bit more than usual. Uh, or some people may uh, may have some urination, uh, increased urination. But those symptoms, the urination symptoms or uh, increased thirst symptoms, which are the typical symptoms that are thought of uh, for diabetes, don't occur until the sugars are like more than double or triple of the normal level. So most people with, di- with uh, newly diagnosed diabetes don't have those symptoms. So I would say a majority of the people... Uh, the only way to find out is, first of all, uh, get a blood test uh, to find out if you have diabetes. But uh, but before that, I would say, find out your risk about uh, developing diabetes. Uh, even if you don't have diabetes, what is your risk of developing diabetes is important to know. So Diabetes Canada, which is a charity organization across Canada, has this uh, on their website. You can go diabetescanada.ca and look at uh, a CAN risk calculator, which is uh, without doing any blood tests, it's a 15 point survey or a questionnaire that you can fill out. For that, you will need your, uh, your weight, your height, your waist circumference, and some other information, but you don't need a blood test. So you can do that in 10 to 15 minutes, and then that survey uh, tells you uh, what your risk of developing diabetes is. So that's where the knowledge would start is, am I at high risk? And if I'm at high, high risk, what is the next step that I can do? Uh, that, that's where we should go. The next question I want to look at is, what are the treatments? Yeah, so it, it is individualized for type 2 diabetes. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, it depends on the person. Uh, you know, are they, what's their body mass index? What's their overweight or obesity status? It depends on how much food they're eating. It depends on whether their fasting sugar is high or is it after meal that the sugar problem is there more. It also depends on their if they have any, any kidney problems, if they have any liver problems, or if they have any heart uh, disease history as well. So those are all the things that are considered uh, when we talk about uh, which treatments are, are uh, usually recommended for, for people. Now, having said all of that, uh, that we need to look at everybody and, and then uh, you know realize which medicines may be best on a, on a personal level, uh, majority of the time, the first treatment that is recommended is called metformin, which mm-hmm. is a pill uh, that you take. Uh, metformin is recommended as a first-line treatment in the majority of the people. There are some people who, who it's not recommended for. Uh, metformin works uh, by by making that pancreas that we said is, is getting overworked in type 2 diabetes 
uh, it, it cools it down basically. So it reduces the need of the pancreas to, to produce a significant large amount of insulin. Uh, it, it helps the metformin helps what we call insulin resistance. That is, you know, the insulin, uh, how much insulin you need to do the action is reduced by the, by the metformin medicine so that the insulin that your body makes can work more effectively and efficiently. Yeah, I've heard the analogy that when your body's exposed to so much sugar that it's it's almost like being in a room that smells like paint. Eventually, it doesn't smell the paint anymore. That That's a good analogy. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing is this is a health and wellness show, and one of the things we talk about a lot is diet and exercise. Uh, what roles do they have in the treatment of diabetes? Yeah, so a huge role, right? Uh, first of all, they have a huge role in prevention of diabetes. And uh, I should mention this, that uh, type 2 diabetes is thought to be a permanent disease. So once you have type 2 diabetes diagnosis, you don't get rid of it for the rest of your life. Now, you can prevent the complications of it, but the diabetes carries on. And it's actually a progressive disease, so it worsens over time. And the reason that type 2 diabetes worsens over time is that the pancreas uh, makes less and less insulin over time. So its capacity goes down over time, uh, and that's why, um, you know, most of the time we start, let's say, with metformin, a second medicine is added after a few years, third medicine, and then most people end up on insulin, needing insulin within the 10 to 15 years of type 2 diabetes is because of that progressive nature. Now, diet and exercise plays a huge role in prevention of diabetes. Uh, so before you get diabetes, uh, if you have borderline diabetes called prediabetes, or if you're just at high risk, you can actually prevent or delay diabetes by working on your diet and exercise and maintaining a good weight. But also, when, you, when somebody gets diagnosed with diabetes as well, type 2, uh, you can, uh, if if the if that person starts taking better care of their of their uh, diet and exercise and weight control, uh, then many times their diabetes progression that we discuss is actually very slow or not at all. I've had some people who lost, you know, 50, 60 pounds, and their diabetes doesn't worsen. They're still on metformin after 20 years of type 2 diabetes as well. So it's not in everyone that it worsens, and it does depend on the diet, exercise, and weight control that that person um, is able to accomplish uh, that determines that. If you were going to give one of your patients one piece of advice for, for exercise, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, so regularity is the biggest uh, piece of advice. You know, I see many people, uh, you know, they get all encouraged and, and start exercising, but then uh, maybe they go too hard that their body is not accustomed to. They don't have the conditioning to do that exercise uh, that aggressively. So maybe uh, start slow, but then build up slowly and keep regularity is one advice. Uh, what is recommended by Diabetes Canada is 150 minutes of uh, per week of exercise. Um, like a moderate uh, brisk walk uh, counts as that uh, as well, so 150 minutes uh, within the week. Mm. Same question, but for diet. If there was going to be one piece of advice you'd give people for nutrition, what would that be? Yeah, so we all think about uh, you know nutrition, um, or one of the common things that we think about for diabetes is it's only the sugars. So one piece of advice would be uh, not just the sugars, but the starches and the carbohydrates uh, may uh, make up more sugars in the body as well. So it could be a bagel, for example, or a pizza or, or fries. Uh, any of that is higher in sugar 
than maybe even the dessert that you had last night. So though, though, I mean, it's, it's a common myth uh, that it's only sugars that need to be avoided, but it's, uh, it's actually the portion of the starch uh, that is more important. And sometimes it's the snack starch uh, that we are consuming too much as well. For example, just chips, mm-hmm. uh, very high in, uh, uh, you know, it's made of potatoes, which is starch and converts into sugar. And so uh, that kind of, uh, um, you know, advice is what I would suggest. Yeah. Right. All those snacks that we're getting before we make a dinner, we're eating crackers and chips and all those calories and, and carbohydrates into our diets. You deal with hundreds and hundreds of patients and you do research as well. What are some of the biggest myths and maybe misnomers about diabetes that, that you've come across? So one of the, a few things we already mentioned, so I'll just uh, repeat, you know, it's not a killer. Um, uh, people with diabetes can live their normal long uh, life as long as certain things are controlled, which includes, uh, you know, sugar, blood pressure, cholesterol, as well as the weight, and then um, uh, check the sugars, all of that, right? One of the myths in that is, uh, you know, uh, do I need to take a cholesterol pill or a blood pressure pill if if my blood pressure is not high or if my cholesterol is not high? Uh, so diabetes type 2 uh, research has shown us that it's not just about the sugar, but actually for reducing the heart, heart attack complications or stroke risk complication, it's more important to be on a medicine that, that uh, reduces blood pressure and cholesterol. So cholesterol and blood pressure are more important risk factors for those heart and stroke complications of diabetes than even the sugar. And so that's important to keep in mind. The other thing that I would uh, I would also uh, suggest is testing. Like when we test for uh, if somebody with diabetes has been asked to start testing their finger uh, for their sugars, many people only test in the morning time and don't test after food. And sometimes, uh, you know, that's okay because their after-food sugars are okay. But the problem is uh, that if we are testing only morning time, many times the the after-meal sugars or during the daytime, the sugars are going high, and we don't even, even realize that uh, the sugars are going high. Uh, of course, there is a blood test. Uh, it's called the HbA1c or the hemoglobin A1c, which is uh, an average of three months of sugars of the last three months uh, that can be done on the lab uh, test, but that's also just an average. So uh, the myth that I'm talking about is not just testing the morning sugar, but also uh, you know testing different times of the day to test uh, what what the sugars are spiking up uh, after certain foods, and then also take it as a learning uh, opportunity uh, to try and change the foods that cause the sugars to be high after after uh, that test as well. And then the other, the other uh, maybe the last one that I would say is one size does not fit all is true for diabetes. You know, every person has their own uh, type two diabetes. Even within type two diabetes, um, you know, one person may be different from the other and different from the other. And that's why you know uh, sometimes uh, different things work for different people as well. Uh, so keep that in mind as well. Hmm. Well, that's that's been amazing information. Is there any uh, final advice you'd give? folks that are listening, very relevant topic. It affects a lot of us. Um, Anything you'd leave them with? Yeah, I would leave them with uh, advice to go on the website, Diabetes Canada website, uh, which has a lot of good information about all of this, right? About prevention of diabetes, about knowing your risk of developing diabetes if you don't have it, 
And for, for people who have diabetes, uh, they can actually get a lot more information uh, regarding how to manage diabetes, what are the parameters. Uh, they can even look at some recipes uh, which, uh, which may be healthy and also at the same time tasty as well. There's also Diabetes Canada has uh, recently started a 1-800-BANTING number uh, where you can talk to, uh, if you have diabetes, uh, you can leave a message and then they call you back and you can actually talk to a diabetes educator over the phone uh, individually as well. Uh, so that's what I would uh, uh, recommend at the end of the show. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much. That's amazing information. Everybody's super lucky to hear an expert like yourself explain something that uh, a lot of people are facing. So thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. We'll be right back with Kevin Peters from the Diabetes for a Day fundraiser. Thanks for taking the time today, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Mike. Always a pleasure to sit down and have a chat with you. Well, it's, it's this is a topic that you're really passionate about. How did you become an advocate for diabetes, particularly type 1 diabetes? Yeah, so back in December 1st, 2016, my daughter, who was 8 years old at the time, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And uh, we we're fortunate in one regard that we recognize that something was wrong. Uh, she was so showing a number of symptoms that uh, we, we kind of looked up a little bit and and all pointed towards type 1. So not thinking that that was the case, took her to the doctor, who then sent her up for some blood work. And uh, before we got home from the hospital, they called and said, you need to turn around immediately. We have doctors and nurses standing by waiting for you to come in. She's severely diabetic and uh, you need to come back right away. So that was our introduction. And uh, the shock of a lifetime, and, and I literally, I think, made a 180 turn in the road with just not even sure why I did. It was just absolute uh, panic and shock. And, and we didn't really understand what type 1 diabetes was. You always heard of diabetes, never really knew of type 1 versus type 2. We just knew that um, it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. So we've got her to, brought her to the hospital. Uh, the Janeway was exceptional. Mm -hmm. the, the care was, was, was incredible. Um, you know, some further tests, lots more blood work. And she was admitted and spent a uh, better part of a week wow. um, being taken care of and, and getting her, her sugar, her sugars were so high, of course. So getting on the insulin went from, you know, being a normal uh, eight-year-old to getting up in the mornings and figure out what you're going to play for the day to getting up in the morning and having to take two needles, uh, count every carb that you had to eat and uh, another needle before supper, another needle before bed. And in between all that, probably 10 to 15 finger pricks a day to check your blood sugar. So uh, that was devastating for me as a father to have to see her go through that. And of course, uh, she was much more resilient right. than I certainly was. I think I took it a lot harder than she did. She she took it in stride. and um, But there was so much confusion and so much uh, so many questions that I wanted to ask, really couldn't get the answers. And ultimately, as her dad, I wanted to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I became, uh, you know, uh, I guess a warrior, a, a father of a type one warrior to figure out how do we manage this as best we possibly can? How can I ensure her quality of life uh, is not going to be impacted by this disease and um, make everything as good as I possibly could for her. And yeah. so that's, that was my introduction. Hmm. I know you went deep into understanding all the aspects of it. 
and you went went through the process with her. I remember you were even pricking your finger, right, with with her when she was testing her blood sugars and to, to be along the way. What were some of the things that were most shocking to you about about somebody going through education on type one diabetes? There's, I think, as a parent. Uh, your mother or father, when you get that news, you kind of go in a little bit of a state of shock. Mm -hmm. And there's so much information being thrown at you between nurses and doctors and nutritionists. And you're not sleeping at night because they're waking her up every two hours to check her blood sugar. And you're just in this state of state of haze, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, but as I was watching her get her finger pricked and having her take her needles and then eating meals that were exactly only 15 carbs per snack or 45 grams of carbs for a meal, uh, I couldn't relate. I really couldn't understand it. So the only way that I thought I could understand it better and also be supportive to her was to say, okay, to a degree, I'm going to have type one as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, scientifically, you can't do that. But uh, emotionally and uh, you know, physically in, in terms of supporting her and also helping me get a better understanding of what she was going through, uh, that's exactly what I did. So when they poked her finger, I said, you got to poke mine. Mm -hmm. And when they gave her a needle, I took a needle without the insulin, of course. And if she could only eat 45 grams of carbs per meal, then that's all I ate was 45 grams of carbs per meal. And uh, when she had to get up at two o'clock in the morning to poke her finger, I got up at two o'clock in the morning and poked my finger. So it was really good for me in terms of understanding what it felt like. And, and certainly as an, uh, an adult, not, not the same, but I think it was really good for her too, because we, she knew that we were in this together mm -hmm. and that we could manage this together. And what it did allow me was just uh, start to get a sense of the regiment that we would have to uh, take on for the rest of her life, quite frankly, certainly as a child. And um, getting me into that routine was just, uh, it, it just made it easier, I think, for both of us. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where things started. And, and, um, and as I started doing that, then I started to understand, well, why you had to do that, right? Why do you only limit 45 grams of carbs? And what does the insulin do? And everything that goes along with it. So it really expedited my learning curve on the disease. Yeah. And certainly asked a lot of questions and met with a lot of people and it just started to make more and more sense. And, and, um, and then, yeah, you just become passionate about it. And now you, you can't get enough information in terms of how do we manage this as best as we possibly can, because it is a dangerous disease. Well, I want to, I want to go into some of those changes that you've made. I know that you've obviously got a, a predisposition towards, you know, being healthy, but there's a lot of parents that may not be armed with the same baseline information that you had when you first encountered this. What would you, how would you explain type one diabetes and uh, to parents of, of children that may be getting it? How would I explain type one diabetes? Right. Um, and you know what? It's, it's, it's complicated and it's not complicated. Here's how I, I break it down for people. And again, I'm not a medical professional, certainly not like you. Um, and as much research as I've done and much reading that I have done, I certainly don't have the in-depth understanding, but I try to keep things simple anyway, in terms of being able to explain it and explain it to, to kids and, and, and certainly any new families that get it. The way I look at insulin, basically when you eat carbs, your body burns that carbs off in the form of energy. So become sugar that sugar then enters your cells and your cells consume that as energy the insulin allows that process to happen and i kind of liken the insulin to keys so the sugars in your blood uh, the insulin comes along with the key it unlocks the cell 
sugar enters the cell, the cell consumes that energy and everything's good. With type one diabetes, uh, your body no longer makes insulin. So there's no keys. So that sugar is building up in your bloodstream and it's building up and it's building up. And so your energy level is getting low. Um, it starts to have a negative impact on a whole number of different issues with your organs. Uh, you become incredibly thirsty. One of the side effects of, of type one diabetes is, is a real intense thirst. You drink a lot of water. You just can't seem to get enough water to try to flush it out. And, um, and that's it. And, and essentially your, your pancreas stops producing insulin mm -hmm. and then you have to become insulin dependent. So the only way to maintain that balance of sugar and energy within your blood system is to uh, manually, I guess, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. is add insulin. Yeah. And so you need to understand the amount of carbs and how much insulin will offset those carbs. You tie that into how much energy they're doing, what the weather is like, what their mood might be that day growing. So there's so many variables that impact that, that it's always a challenge, but it's something that, you know, you just, you just look at diligently every single day hmm. and try to manage as best you can. What I also tell parents is do not stress over trying to be perfect because yeah. you can't. Yeah. And I learned that my wife learned that trying to, you know, keep those blood sugars at an even level mm -hmm. you know, between five and 10. And it's, it's a challenging ta task. Certainly especially when you're first diagnosed. So mm. a big important thing I tell parents too is just uh, relax. You're, you, we've recognized it. it. You know what it is now. You're, you're under healthcare and you just do the best you can and everything will be fine. And so you guys were able to control it as best you possibly can, you yeah. know. Um, I'm sure there's good days and bad days, but what's the difference in your daughter since she's been able to control it? Oh, I mean, uh, prior to her being diagnosed, uh, she was the type of child that would wake up in the morning with a smile on her face, mm -hmm. smile all day long and go to bed with a smile on her face. And that started to change. Mm -hmm. And she started to get really moody and very irritable. Um, you know, her weight changed, her color changed. And we knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. We thought it was, was a growing spurt. Was she allergic to something? Was she lactose intolerant? And we couldn't quite put our finger on it. Uh, once we got into the Jane way with, I would say within two days, Mike, um, we were in and her and I were playing and we we're having a lot of fun and she was jumping around and she was laughing. My wife looked at her and, and, and said, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with her? What, what's going on? And I said, that's our old Sophia back. Yeah. Right. The insulin had brought her sugar levels down and she felt normal again. So, you know, that, that was a big change in her. And then going forward, she has become incredibly responsible very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you don't expect your children to adapt so quickly to understand the magnitude and the gravity of how dangerous this disease is and how important it is to manage it. But they do and mm -hmm. they take it on and she's taken it on and she's very structured. And of course, she has her bad days. There's days where she does not want a needle. There's days mm -hmm. she does not want to poke her finger. Um, but for the most part, she has taken on the evolution of going from needles to a pump to no longer needing to poke her fingers anymore because she wears a continuous glucose monitor that doesn't require it. And uh, she just rolls with it. It's, it's part of her routine now. She counts her carbs and uh, she's learned a lot of life lessons at a very, very early age. And I think, you know, I look at that as a positive piece that she's prepared mm -hmm. and much more responsible and um, continues to grow with that. So. But she, she, you know what? She's a normal, happy child, does anything any other child yeah. can do. There's no things that she can't do. 
And, um, you know, I, we just, it's, it's not a, it's not a disease that is in the forefront for us. It's, we manage it every day, but we don't make a big deal about it. And, um, we just encourage her to be the best that she can be. The new normal is the new term for 2020. <laughs> the new normal, absolutely. <laughs> and, and and that's what they told us in the Janeway from day one. They said, this is your new normal, mm-hmm. right? This is your new normal, waking up three, four times a night to check on her and finger pricks and counting carbs and everything goes along with it. And you know, you make a decision, you hit that crossroads. Are we going to embrace this and make the most of it? Or are we going to sit back and say, well, it's us and, and uh, life is terrible. And we decided that we're going to embrace this. We're going to look at all the positive things that being a type one diabetic can bring mm-hmm. a healthier lifestyle, managing your, your, your calories, your carbs, your, your diet, uh, exercise, drink more water, all those basic things that are so important for a type one diabetic that really are important for everybody. Well, that's what I want to talk about next, because by you taking on those habits and realizing the benefit and also understanding how closely type 1 and type 2 diabetes are linked, that's led to a pretty interesting initiative we're going to cover when we get back from this little break. Sounds good. All right, so Kevin, you went through the process of learning all about diabetes through through Sophie's experience, but along the way, you learned a lot and you actually improved your health, eh? I did, significantly. Uh, Game changer, actually. I was sitting in the hospital and at this point, Mike, I, I literally hadn't slept for three days. The first three days uh, I paced the halls and, um, you know, I'm a businessman mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, and I, I solve problems in business. That's generally what my role is. And so I felt that there's obviously a solution here somewhere and I got to find that solution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can pace the halls all you want and uh, there's no solution right? There's only, how can we manage this? So the idea that I sort of had, I think it was literally like three o'clock one morning was, okay, well, we need to expand this. We need to turn this into a positive thing and uh, need to get the messaging out there. So diabetes for a day is really where diabetes for a day, the campaign that I created came from. And it was all about how do I one, educate people about type one diabetes and the importance of uh, recognizing the symptoms of it. And then two, what really hit me was that all the things that I was learning it very quickly was healthy things for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, and I said, imagine everybody counted every carb before they ate it mm-hmm. and they knew how many carbs would be the limit. And imagine they drank more water and imagine they managed their lifestyle to ensure that they had the appropriate amount of exercise in there. How healthy would our society be? Mm-hmm. And so when I kind of crossed the, the two together and said, well, type one diabetes and the challenges, but what the opportunities it could bring in a healthier lifestyle, diabetes for a day was born. And uh, what further reinforced that was as I only ate 45 grams of carbs per meal and 15 grams per snack and absolutely no junk, no sugar, because my daughter couldn't. This is December 1st before Christmas. Right. So this is like trial work. by fire. This is work functions. This is Christmas parties. This is treats, desserts. And I'm not even having a chocolate, nothing because I can't, my yeah. daughter can't. Yeah. I dropped 20 pounds <laughs> during like, Christmas, You're the during only Christmas ever and New Year's. Yeah. Right. So two months roll around, I'm down 20 pounds. I've always had high blood pressure gone. Hmm. No more high blood pressure medication. I started sleeping better. I started feeling better. I started getting more active. I started thinking much more clearly. 
And the change was so amazing, so fast that I said, wow, this type one diabetes thing is onto something. So I had to share that message. Mm -hmm. And what I did within the, the business community is I challenged business leaders to go on this type one journey with me mm -hmm. for 90 days and said, live like my daughter lives for 90 days, learn about how to live a healthier lifestyle and see what happens. And ultimately we had about 25 or 30 uh, business leaders uh, join up. And the premise too was to educate them so that they can educate their employees. Right. And I figured, well, if you, if they saw value in this and then they got their employees gauged, now the magic would start to happen. People would start to get healthy and we would also start to recognize type one diabetes for what it was. And more importantly, start to educate people about the symptoms of type 1 diabetes. Well, just a point on that is that even if they aren't genetically predisposed towards type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes can be averted by a lot of the a lot of the things that you're doing to treat type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes we have one of the highest rates in the country. Absolutely. And you know, that's driven by obesity, it's driven by inactivity. Um certainly uh, being a diet plays a big factor in that. And when you think about someone like me who would give their pancreas to cure my daughter, mm -hmm. right? I would sell everything I had to give her a cure. Um, in some cases, people are taking on type 2 diabetes that's avoidable, mm. right? And ultimately going down that road where they could become insulin dependent. And uh, we have no choice in the matter, and they do. Mm -hmm. And as you said, one of the highest rates in the country. Um, certainly needed to be addressed. So diabetes for a day, uh, I, I think um, at least our first year launching it did a great job in doing that in educating people what the differences between the two are, but certainly what the causes are and what you could do to, to prevent that. So what were some of the success stories from people that participated? Oh, we had a, we had a number I mean, without getting specific names, but um, we have one person who has been going to gyms and trying things for years and years and years. He's now down 60 pounds. We had another lady who just became very active in walking, uh, had a number of health issues for the most part gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of success stories about people who just started moving, mm -hmm. getting active. And it was, a, it was a team community type approach, right? And that's, I think that was very powerful too. It was like little challenges amongst the group and we'd all share pictures at night of everybody going and getting their, their daily steps in or doing something active or sharing pictures of healthy meals. And so we made it fun. And once every couple of weeks, we'd get together and exercise together. And, and we had you come in and do a, a great kickoff spiel to explain things. So that community type thing was really, really, uh, you know, from a supportive perspective and an educational perspective, very, very powerful. And, um, so overall, yeah, I mean, I'm getting people now saying, are we doing it? What are we doing? It's been a year. Right. Let's, let's get it going again. Let's go in again. So, uh, incredible how fast when you put your mind to it and focus on it, how you can start to feel better mm -hmm. and improve your health. So for the people that may not have, um, been so sought out the answers maybe as aggressively as you did to, to try and solve the problem. What are some resources you found along the way that could be really beneficial for people to tap into from different health organizations or, or education sources? Yeah, I mean, certainly from a diabetes perspective, there's a Canadian Diabetes Association. Um, there's Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, um, JDRF. Both are great resources from that perspective. Uh, Canadian Diabetes Association is type 1 and type 2. JDRF is simply type 1, but they offer all kinds of resources in terms of 
food and exercise and uh, all, any kind of information you could possibly want. They're great resources to look into. Um, I think, you know, your, your own health professionals, your own doctors and when you, or nurses or anybody in, in the health profession, sit down and ask those questions. You know, how can you improve your lifestyle? What are some things you can do? Um, I'm always a little cautious on the internet because mm -hmm. you got to be sure on what you're looking up and what you're reading because there, there, there's, a, there's a portion of the health industry, I believe, that wants to make it complicated because it's a for-profit for mm -hmm. and they've got these quick fix, wonderful diets and they've got these, you know, amazing exercises, um, you know, really for me and talk to people. Um, it's the simple things really that, you know, if I give people advice is simply this, drink more water throughout the day. We're chronically dehydrated as a population and water has so many benefits to go for a walk, 15 minutes, half hour, 45 an hour walk, just, just move and nothing more complicated than that. And why what you eat, start to learn about what the food labels say, yeah. right? Cause you, I think a lot of people are confused by, um, you know, you're thinking you're eating a healthy yogurt, but it's really packed with sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, so those, those are some things And the Canadian food guys, probably another resource that you can look at. Which into has just there. been updated this year, much better than it was been updated. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So that, that's getting better. Um, you know, move yeah right Get out, walk yeah and uh it's funny you say there's no quick fix however when your daughter started to follow the scientific and medical guidance she got better very quickly, very quickly. it might have been a little bit of a struggle to get used to the new normal but and then you said yourself you were able to drop down to a very healthy body composition and energy levels and function better within a very short period of time if you think about one or two months so it does happen relatively quickly the problem is it may not be flashy or fancy and I think that's what people are looking for is just generally, like you said, move, drink water. Yeah. Watch eat. I, I think a big problem overall is that we set targets or expectations that, okay, I got to lose 40 pounds. Right. And after two weeks, if I haven't lost 10 pounds, uh, I'm failing as opposed to, in my case, I didn't set a target to lose 20 pounds. I didn't set a target to uh, improve my blood pressure. I didn't set a target to sleep better. It just happened. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I set a target to be healthier for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And that was the goal. And so that meant counting my carbs, drinking more water, exercising every day. And that's the benefits that came from that. And I think if people took that approach to say, I'm going to walk every day, I'm just going to drink more water and I'm going to learn as much as I can about my own health. And let's just see what happens. Well, I, one more point I think is really important is that you had somebody to hold accountable, hold you accountable, but also you were accountable to them. Yeah. That is important, I think. That's why people have workout partners and, and do things uh, in a community environment. And that's exactly what Diabetes for a Day was. Um, so how is that accountability aspect important for you and not only uh, you and your, and your daughter, but also for the people that participated in the program? I think that was a big piece of the puzzle. Because so many people, and, and one of the people I talked to you about who lost 50 pounds had been going to gyms for years and trying and struggling, not getting there. And he said it was the accountability piece. Mm. Um, it was the group. It was just a group of people who were focused on improving their health. Everybody had their own unique challenges and, and their unique goals of what they wanted to be. But it was really about just getting out and, and doing it. And when you have that accountability there, I call it a tribe. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not a unique term, but basically I said, join our tribe. Mm -hmm. And it's just a tribe, but we want to get healthier. We want to learn more about, about health type one in particular. 
and um, in a supportive, fun environment. And for me, that works really, really well. Mm-hmm. And we've just did it again uh, with the organization that I work with. And we just had all our general managers do a 30-day challenge and did it online with, again, updates every picture. And amazing how many people jump in and do that for the 30 days. Mm-hmm. And then once that stops and that sort of community focus and community support is gone, uh, a number of people will then sort of revert back. So, um yeah, I just tell people, find your tribe. And they, but they don't unlearn what they learned along the way. And they also get That's reinforcement right. that it does work. So when they want to revisit, they know it works. If somebody wants to get involved or their organization wants to get involved in Diabetes for a Day, how do they do that? Well, you can reach out to me. Certainly give me a call. We have a Diabetes for a Day um, on Facebook. We're mm-hmm. listed there. And, you know, we, we did our, our, our first year. So we learned a lot. Uh, we had a great, great time. Raised $70,000. All that money was donated to JDRF. And, um, so COVID has kind of presented a little bit of a challenge in terms of how we structured it because it was such a in-person piece Mm -hmm. uh, of that, at least for me, when I, when I founded this was that whole community aspect of getting together and working out together or having a healthy meal together. Um, that can't be, uh, you know, the case going forward, at least not for the next little while. So we're looking at an online platform now that will allow people uh, we're still going to focus on business leaders to encourage their staff and their, and their organizations to jump on board, but we're hoping to also get communities involved in some capacity this year and uh, make it much bigger, looking at getting some, uh, a couple of opportunities for national sponsors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in fact, JDRF has, uh, has taken an interest in this campaign themselves. Certainly we raised some money for them, but more importantly, just the awareness on, on type one diabetes has, has been uh, a big help for them as well in terms of, um, their organization and getting their message out there and, and raising money to find a cure. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's what, uh, drives me to do this is I'm hoping that, uh, my daughter someday will, will walk in and say, Hey dad, we found a cure. And I no longer have to live this life. And although it's fine and it's good, um, it still has challenges. There are still risks involved. So I'm just committed to to doing what I can. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. Uh, far smarter people than that working on a cure right now. So if I can raise awareness and raise money to help them find a cure, then I'm going to do it. That's great. Well, thanks for doing that and everything you do. And also thanks for taking the time to chat today. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure. I'd like to thank Diabetes Canada for coordinating our conversation with Dr. Bajaj. I also want to thank him for taking the time to explain such a complex topic in such an easy-to-understand way. I also want to thank Kevin Peters for explaining and sharing his story of him and his daughter's journey to understanding and then controlling type 1 diabetes and for all of his work with the Diabetes for a Day charity. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show, folks. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Health and Wellness Show on your VOCM.